Hi, this is Charlie Peck with Thriving School Community. Welcome, everybody. Okay, so today I have Francine Sabins on, and she's got a ton of awards. And I know, Francine, it's hard to talk about ourselves, but I'm going to have you say hi to people and please tell us what you've been doing as a school counselor and how in the world you ended up in the White House being honored. At, just please start there. So welcome first. Hi. Thank you so much, Charlie. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to share um, as much as I can today in our short time together. Um, I, I, it's crazy that you lead off with that because I, I, I don't know. I don't talk about that very often, but um, I was school counselor of the year. I did get the opportunity to go to the White House um, as the Illinois representative from Illinois the year after I was school counselor of the year. Um, so I've been a school counselor for 15 years and the biggest thing for me in my profession has been just connecting with students and their families to help them just tap into what their passion is and then helping them to figure out how to make that possible. No matter what their plan is, no matter what their goal is, just helping them to realize they can do whatever they commit themselves to doing and I will support them in doing that. And that's really what gets me out of bed in the morning. And that's what keeps me doing what I do, um, even on the hard days. Oh my goodness. And that's a big responsibility, especially working in a school system when you have limitations. So how, yeah. how do you how do you work within a system that has a lot of barriers and still get up and have that passion and serve families like you do? So I think, you know, I started out in um, a smaller school where I only had, uh, well, not only I had, you know, 320 to 350 students, um, but very limited resources. And that actually was a town that had a prison in it. So, you know, we had families that would move in because their family member may have been incarcerated. So you can imagine like, what they were bringing in with them. This is a new community, a new school, new people, uh, a different type of home life than maybe most people would understand. So really helping the people that I worked with and their families also to understand how to work with students like that when we know we may not even have them very long, you know, that might be a very fluid living situation for them. Um, really just came down to, and I think this is carried with me, just having conversations with people like our colleagues, you know, and how we handle, and that's probably not the right word, but you know, how we like nurture and love on our kids without thinking about what we don't have to be able to do it. You know, just like having the genuine connections with them and getting to know them um, as people and getting to know their story and um, how they feel like we can best support them. And I had great, I worked with great teachers and administrators that got that. And I learned a lot from them and we really worked together to see kids and not just like, good morning, you know, but like good morning and saying their name and then noticing even in their eyes, which was really great when COVID happened because that's all we had, right? Um, to know like, maybe they're a little bit off today. They're not making eye contact with me today or they're quieter than they normally are today. And just being able to have the conversations that needed to happen so that we made sure we could help those kids when they needed it the most or see them in a moment where um, they weren't sure if anybody saw them. So I think, and that has carried with me, you know, I'm 15 years in now, I'm at a different school, but those lessons in the way that we approach things back then have really like carried with me through my career. 
Okay. There's, there's a lot there that is so important. So there's two things. Number one, and we'll just do one at a time and I might forget. So we'll do the best we can working through it, but oh my goodness, there's so much good stuff there, Francine. One of the things that I'm hearing is you didn't have a lot of resources at all. So you started with what you could do. That is a, an attitude that so many of us need to take on because we have to start from strengths, right? And it sounds like you know exactly how to do that. So if you could speak to that and then link in how important it is that partnership you have with parents, not with just parents, but with uh, teachers, how that worked well together when you worked from their strengths, like, is that something that they realized they naturally had, or you had to work with them on that? Okay, great question. Um, So first, I think, you know, we have to get to know those kids when they come in we, new students let's like think of it from that perspective when a new student comes in we really don't know anything about them other than what their file says right so we have to of course we have to approach from that situation because we i'm a high school counselor so we have to place them appropriately so we have to look at the file we have to read what's in there we have to you know dig through it and try to make sense of it so it fits into our system whatever we have but that i feel like that's only half of our charge. We also have to get to know them and their family to figure out how we can best support them because we don't know what kind of services they had before they got to us. And sometimes I find that they really weren't seen when they come to me. So they already have a bad impression about a school experience. So my friend Leslie and I actually worked together to put together this method of getting to know our students without spending tons of time you know, on that process because they want to get through the paperwork. They want to get into class. They want to, you know, get into the system and to your school. Um, So we ask some really important questions of them as they're registering. So it's not just, you know, your basic demographics and all of these things, but it's also asking you about you as a person. Like, what do you like? What are your pronouns? What's your family home life like? You know, it's instead of, you know, who are your parents? Being mindful that, you know, these kids might not live with their parents. So being sensitive to the way that we ask questions of them so they feel comfortable telling us really what their story is. And the more that we can get out at the beginning, the easier it is for us to help them to transition into a new school environment. Um, and, And this could apply even to freshmen, you know, even if you're in a smaller district, just getting to know their story a little bit before they even start. So you know, like, how often even they would like to be checked on. That's one of the questions we ask. We're going to follow up with you automatically in about a week or two just to see how you're adjusting. But then how often would you like a check-in? Is that something that's important to you? Because some kids, it is important to them to be checked on, but there's no method for them to tell us that. So we also like to ask questions like that um, in terms of the teacher. So with that, I like to say, you know, we have to we have to find out what their needs are and what their strengths are up front. If we don't ask, there very few people are going to come out and tell you like, this is my strength. You know, they just, <laughs> we don't do that as humans enough we, and we should, but we don't. And then with, on the teacher side, when I started at my school, um, you know, you're introduced to the whole faculty and you get to know people as they um, come in um, as new teachers or whatever. And I just, I always have partnered with English teachers because that's where I teach my um, school counseling curriculum. So I've 
always had very strong relationships with English teachers. And I rely on them for a lot of things like for myself, and it's kind of a reciprocal relationship. And they're always usually my portal to everybody else, because I feel like for me, they work with all of our kids. Every kid takes English, right? So, you know, they see them all, but they also hear them all because they write for them. And they'll say things to them that they maybe don't say to other teachers or they'll write things that they get to read that other teachers don't know about. So it's always nice to go in and have lunch with them or have informal conversations with them, not taking up too much of their prep time because we don't want to do that. But just talking to them about, you know, hey, what's going on with this kid? What are you seeing on your end? And sometimes once you start that relationship, they'll come in and tell you, hey, so-and-so said they're having trouble with this teacher and this is what's going on. And then you have this whole other insight to help solve a problem that a kid's having that you wouldn't have otherwise known about and to maybe even help that other teacher understand how to better work with a student, you know, I'll give you a specific example. I Most students don't like sarcasm. A lot of people don't know that, but they don't. They, it just doesn't work well with kids. You maybe have like 0.5% of kids who are like cool with it. And you'll know because they, they use sarcasm with you. And okay, that's maybe like one kid out of like 200. So yeah, um, good point. if a teacher is using sarcasm with kids, like, oh, Hey, Jenny, it's good to see you. We haven't seen you in a few days. Not a great idea. But we as school counselors don't always see that, but other teachers do. And they might mention to another teacher that this is happening. And you know what? It makes me not want to come to school when, you know, Dr. Jones or whatever says that to me every time I come to school because he doesn't know why I haven't been to school. My mom might have cancer and I might have to stay home or I might be scared to come to school or whatever. But your sarcasm makes me not want to be here. And then I don't come back for three days. But we might not know that unless we have those connections with the other teachers that see it and hear it and are comfortable then telling us about it. And then we have the power to be able to go and talk to that other teacher or talk to administrator about addressing that just so we can create a caring environment for our kids that just need you to just be nice and not say things like that. Just say, good morning, Jenny, or you know whatever when they come in, don't make known that they haven't been there for a few days because that makes them not want to come back for a few days. Oh my gosh. It's so that was a long explanation, but no, but it's so important because all the pieces are in there because you're saying we have to, first of all, teachers are great informants or can be trained to be great informants. Right. And so when they don't know, they don't know. And they either do what they think they they were supposed to do 15, 20 years ago when they started the seasoned ones who have a good hearts, but if they don't, if they're not skilled, they're not skilled. Right. Um, Or there's a, either something that's happened that's getting them stuck in that negativity. Right. And that's, I think part of what school counselors are there for is they're taking a lot of that on because you're the bridge between the, the kids and the families and the staff. Yes. Right. That's what I'm hearing you say. And that's vital. Right. Um, Francine, I love that you said you speak a lot with English teachers because very, I think it was literally the, either the first or second year of my career teaching high school, I taught English and I had a kid who wrote in the journal and he's, uh, I, I had built a rapport with him. I could tell. So one time I saw, I read in his journal that his dad tied him to the back of a, to a chair and put him in the backyard 
right? It was like abusing him. And we can all put our uh, thoughts into that. And I don't need to go into details. And I remember as a new teacher, I had no, nobody had told me that this might happen, right? That's the first thing. So educating them that these things might come up is a huge piece, I think, of your job as well, it sounds like. So I'm like, what do I do? So I, I remember going straight to the school social worker and I had, and I know you're a school counselor, but you guys are on a team. I know it's a team. I remember thinking that very early on in my career, dang, I need to partner with them. I need to partner with school counselors and school social workers way early on. So if that's why I love that you said that. So, okay, let's keep going with that because there are (laughs) going to be teachers and staff members, not just teachers, right? Staff members, support staff, um, school secretaries, school, and I don't know, I don't even think reception area, um, attendance, all these yeah. people that that are involved with our kids somehow, coaches and, and everything. So how do you handle those ones who have apathy? Because I know that's a big problem. Can you talk about apathy and, and how dangerous that can be? Absolutely. And, you know, I honestly think I noticed this more after COVID. I think, you know, kids came back and that adjustment was hard for them. And they're dealing with a lot of other things as a result of COVID and being at home um, and learning loss, you know, all of these things that happened. And so I feel like when they came back, for a lot of them, it was a shock to their system. And a shock to the teacher system too, right? We had to go back to a whole different way of doing things and keeping in mind, we have no idea what happened to these kids while they were gone. I mean, they weren't there in an environment where we fed them and we said good morning to them and we used their name and we loved on them every day. So we're all like adjusting to all these things. But I've noticed that some of these kids are coming in and they're just like, I just don't care. And that is like shocking to me. Like, you know, we work so hard to make sure they care about whatever is important to them. So to see some of these kids just like have this apathy about just life in general, not just, you know, getting their schoolwork done and taking care of business, but just like life in general is heartbreaking. And so I talk to my principal a lot. We work very, very closely together and she sees things that I don't always see. And she has a different perspective on things, but we work very well together. We actually at school, we call her the mom and I'm like the hippie aunt. That's how we, you know, and even our our offices are next to each other. So they're like, I'm going to go to mom's and then I'm going to come back. Like, uh, you know, this is how we kind of operate. So we've talked about this a lot. And I think, um, Having the ability to work with other people in situations like this so that they see that multiple people care about you and multiple people are interested in what's deeply important to you um, helps them to come out of that. So they know, yeah, you're here to go to school. You're here to get good grades. Yes, we want you to graduate, but we want you to also have a purpose. So over the last year, which is when we've kind of been seeing this a little bit more, we have talked so much about what can we do? Where are we missing? Where are we missing the mark with reaching these kids before it gets to this point? And one thing I learned about a couple of years ago at the ASCA conference was this concept called Ikigai. I don't know if you've heard of it before, but really um, the translation. Tell me about this. Yeah, that's a 
And I think for me, this is the key to it because I've seen, I've seen it work with so many kids and it's not the only way, obviously, like, I, I, you know, I'm not saying like prescribe to this, but I feel like it helps so many kids. So the translation, and I have the books, so I'll show them to you also, but the translation is actually, um, the Japanese concept, its translation is the happiness of always being busy. And it's really about helping kids to find their purpose and link it up to, you know, what am I good at and what's important to me and the way it all just like comes together and help brings them this health and this happiness that really is long-term. It's not just while they're in high school, it's something that they can reflect back on later. So sitting and having these conversations with kids, not about, Hey, you're failing this class. Hey, you, you know, your attendance, it's not looking great. Just peeling back all those layers and asking like, what's going on with you? Because I care and I want to help. And just having a candid conversation with them, which of course starts with a relationship. You can't just pull them in, you know, if you don't know them very well already, because they're probably going to seize up on you and they're not going to tell you very much. But I actually had this conversation with a kid a couple of weeks ago. He, um, he's a foster kid. Uh, he's a sophomore now, but he, um, has just traditionally had a lot of behavior problems. I've done home visits. I've worked with his mom. You know, I talked to her almost every week. Just, you know, I've literally tried everything. Like, okay, statement, this is like not working. I don't know what else to do. And then I told the principal that week, I'm like, honestly, I feel like I've hit a brick wall. And she was like, I do too, but I don't know, you know, when I've talked to mom and I'm not sure what else we can do. And I'm like, let me talk to him one more time. And so I went and I just sat across from him and I said, I feel like everything I've tried for you hasn't worked. And that bothers me because I care about you as a person and I want you to be happy. And I feel like you're not happy and I don't know how to help you to find your happiness. So if there's something that you can tell me that you need that I can help you with, I need you to tell me that now because otherwise I feel like I may have to suggest that we change your placement to somewhere where you have more help in a smaller environment. And he started crying and he said, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. And he told me everything, literally like waterfall, told me everything. And then I said, this is what I needed all along. This is what I needed. But it, it just came back to like, just not talking about anything else and just asking him like, I'm lost. You have to help me help you because I don't know what else to do. And then it got down to what was really important to him. And then by the end of it, he was like, can I just go to PE class today? He was in school and he's like, can I just go to PE class today? And I'm like, does PE class make you happy? Is that like your favorite place to be when you're here? And he's like, yes, I just need to move. He just needed to move. If he can move, he felt like he didn't have to think about anything else that was in his mind, anything else that was going on at home or going on with the relationships that were kind of strained right now. He could just move. And I'm like, this is the key. How do I get this kid to PE classes so that he can move in the morning and in the afternoon and then everything else will fall into place because he just needs like a break in his mind. And it's not about talking to somebody. He needs that too. And he's good about that. But he just needs to move. That's what's important to him. And then we got into so much more and he's doing really, really great right now. Um, but it just was about making that connection with him about, you know, 
what was deeply important to him. And that helped us to really start to understand how we really could help him um, and how we could pull him out of that apathy because he didn't want to be there. None of them want to be there. But if we can't help them to just get down to the core of what's going on, they can't even see that there's so much magic that can happen because they're stuck. They're stuck in it. Well, I want people to sit with that because they're stuck. And if we can get them to the point of seeing how much magic there could be, wow. And and imagine our schools getting to that point. So, okay, I want you to think about this, Francine, from a point of a a leadership perspective, because a lot of education leaders and even district leaders are going to be listening to this. What is it that they need to do to ensure more people on staff have that message that don't let it just get stuck in apathy. Don't let, like, we got to have a new perspective with these kids. It's not that they're apathetic because they don't want things to work well for them. How do we get them to shift that lens? I'm so glad you asked that question because I, I think it's very important. And um, there's something I definitely want to say about that. Okay, so number one, I think it's important for administrators to remind their staff that we have to mirror the behavior that we want to see in our kids. So if our kids see us in the hallway, in a little huddle, gossiping, no matter what we're gossiping about, they're going to feel this sense of distrust because you might not be gossiping about me right now, but you like to gossip. And one day it might be about me. So I can't even trust you to be my authentic self around you because I can't trust you to misuse my story. Wow. So we have to be mindful about how we conduct ourselves as professionals in a school. We cannot huddle in that way and give this impression that we're misusing people's stories ever because then they're never going to be their true self around us because I can't trust you to be my true self. I have to feel like as a student that I can be vulnerable around you no matter what kind of day I'm having. Whether it's a bad day or a good day, I have to feel like I can be my true self So and know that when I'm my true self, you're gonna help me wherever I am. And if I can't do that, you're never gonna have an authentic relationship with me, which is what we want, right? We want everybody in the building to have authentic relationships with the students that they have an opportunity to touch. If they don't, then it's really hard to teach them anything. You're not gonna teach them math. You're not gonna teach them science. You're not gonna teach them social studies if they feel like they can't have a real authentic relationship with you. So that's number one. And can I stop you real quick before the number two? Because I wanna know again to leaders who are listening, Who's, is it more impactful if a school counselor or school social worker delivers that message or should the administrators deliver that message to staff? I definitely think it's the administrator delivering that message because if you think about it, they are the leader of the way that culture goes one way or the other, right? right? They set the tone for the culture of the school. A social worker or a school counselor will support that culture but if the leader isn't spearheading that type of culture, then it's really hard for it to happen, right? They not only have to like spearhead it and set the tone for it, but they also have to live it, 
you know, and then you have these, you know, you have social workers, you have school counselors that help to support what that can look like and how we improve upon it. But if they're not the ones delivering that message, I think it's hard, um, particularly for school counselors and social workers, because we're seen as equals. We are not your boss. We are, you know, we maybe see more or hear more than you do, but we're not your boss. We can't tell you what to do. We can help you if you're open to that. We can give you suggestions about classroom management and things like that, but we can't tell you how to do your job, you know, mm-hmm. or tell you what the expectation is in terms of the environment that you create for students and other staff. That's the role of the administrator. And then with that, explaining that if you have um, concerns or if you feel like there's areas where you can improve, these are the experts. They understand how to build connections with people. That's where their power is. Use them, call them. If you're having an issue with a specific kid, call these people in and ask them like, this is what I'm doing. What do you think I could be doing different? If this is the result I seek and have a conversation with them in an expert way because that's really where our power is, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's really important. I don't hear a lot of people talking about that piece of culture and, you know, observing what you're doing in the hallways in front of the kids like that. So it was so important to to talk more about that. So, okay. Number two, I'm, and I know I interrupted a thought. So, well, and this goes with that, that question that you asked. Um, So number two would be, when you do have a concern or you do have an issue with a student, using the appropriate mode of communication to communicate that concern as quickly as possible. And so this is maybe a charge for school counselors because I was actually in a meeting last week and um, and this meeting is kind of this committee that we have that's focused on um, the mental health and, and the culture of our specific school district. And one of the things that came up with the teachers was when I have a concern about a kid, I need to be able to communicate that to you very quickly. And sometimes I can't leave my classroom, I, you know, but I'm afraid if I don't do it right away, I may forget to tell you because the day just gets so crazy, right? And so I I immediately said, well, you know, I have a referral form and I just built it in Google Docs. It's very simple. It's just a few questions. Um, and that comes to me immediately and it CCs the principal. So we both know. So if I'm out of the building and the principal knows, hey, we have this concern with the student and this is what has been done so far. And they didn't have that at the other buildings. So it's so important that one, teachers know how to communicate concerns to us, whether it's a concern that they have because they want to reach a student in a better way or a concern that maybe something's happening at home. If we go back to the story where you got that journal, you know, you might, that might've been first hour. Well, you want someone to know about that right away, but if you don't have prep until seventh hour, you're kind of in a situation where you can't communicate it, but you know, it's important to communicate it. So we, one, have to make sure they know how to communicate with us, what the concerns are that they have. And then we have to create a way for stu- for teachers to easily do that. And so a referral form for staff is so important and constant communication about it because I do still get teachers who will email me and tell me highly sensitive things that should never be emailed. Right. Even though they know there's a referral form, we talk about it all the time, but it has reminded me that I need to constantly remind. So every month I send it out just a reminder, we have this way, if you have a concern about a student, please complete this referral form. And it's also a great way for us to track 
how many concerns are coming in from staff. So that's another piece that administrators can look at to say, hey, you know, we've had this specific type of concern overall, or we've had, you know, five, six teachers in the last month say they were concerned about this student. So now how can we use our resources, whatever they are, to wrap around the student and their family to help them because multiple people are concerned about whatever it might be. So that was the other piece of it. That's a huge piece of it. I mean, when we look at statistics uh, and then follow up with the teachers we work with, it matches exactly what you just said, Francine. And there was a stat, it was maybe a year or two ago at the most, and only 19% of students, or sorry, only 19% of teachers were referring their students to their school mental health professionals. And it, and then when I was looking into it, I remembered what it was like for me. It wasn't easy because there was no easy referral process and they didn't even know where to find it. So if it's not easy to access, they know it's there and you can't quickly get to it, right? You already know because you're a part of this all the time. Um, and if, and then the other piece to that, what I'd like to uh, briefly go over with you, because this is a huge piece to it. So if I'm a teacher and I'm in a classroom and I develop these relationships with these kids that I really care about, they're like my children, right? And I send a referral off to you, Francine, and then I never hear back from you. I do not have trust that that kid is being taken care of the way I know they need to be taken care of. So how do you handle that? That's a big piece. I hear it all the time. Such a good question. And I actually learned this the hard way because, you know, when I was a brand new counselor, I didn't know that like teachers want an email back, you know, to me, it's like, oh my God, you know, people like blow our email up. So I'm thinking, you know, if they want to know, they'll stop by so we can talk about it. So Mm -hmm. wrong. I was so wrong. And so I learned that the hard way. So now when I get that referral, it pops up, you know, the way a a Google doc does, Hey, somebody's completed your form. I immediately email the teacher back to say, thank you for your referral. I'll be seeing this student, you know, next hour or at, you know, whatever, or I, I give them some sense of identification of like when I'm going to see them. And then after I see them, I follow up with them to let them know, Hey, I spoke with so-and-so. If you want to stop by when it's convenient for you, I can give you an update on things. So I'm not going to, you know, give a lot of detail in the email. I'm just going to let them know that we did have a conversation. If I do have um, a plan of action that I'm comfortable with and the student is comfortable with me sharing in the email, I will, because I always ask the students, depending on what's going on, are you comfortable with me letting your teachers know this is going on in your life? This is how you would like them to support you. You know, whatever the situation is, I always ask the students and usually they'll say yes, depending um, on what it is, because they do want people to know. They want people to know that they have something going on and this is the way they feel like they need to be supported. And if they say that, I usually will let all of their teachers know. I, you know, it's not just about the originator of the concern, it's all of them so that we can work together to wrap around the student and support them through, you know, whatever's going on. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. But I learned that the hard way. I'm sure you did. Um, and what happened? Like, you don't have to tell the whole story, but what was it? Did a teacher come to you and say, why didn't you tell me or, or what happened? No, actually, it was really <laughs> embarrassing. So okay, I, and really that's how we learned. <laughs> yeah. So we were actually in a faculty meeting and the principal was like, you know, I just want to reiterate, if you are having concerns about students, because we had some things that had happened, um, you have to communicate those to Mrs. Sabins. You have to. Otherwise, we can't address them if we don't know about them. And so this 
you know, super veteran teacher who just was like, oh my God, you know, what do you do all day? You know, you just sit in your office, you know, just like yeah. not happy with life, probably just needed to retire and go and find their true happiness because it had expired in teaching. Um, they were like, well, we do let her know. And then we never hear from her. And I'm like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. But, but again, but like, you know, why didn't you just pick up the phone and call me and tell me, like, I don't know, like you said, I don't know what I don't know. And to me, I thought I was doing a good thing by like not filling up your email box. And here you are saying, no, I want you to fill up my email box when it's about that. That's but right. I didn't know. And so I was obviously deeply embarrassed. Like I had no idea. And then, you know, I went back and talked to my English friends about it. Like, because you know, after they referred a kid, they would just pop in and talk to me because we had that type of relationship. But this person just did not like me, didn't lo- really like anybody. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know, you know, so I learned the hard way and that was really embarrassing, but I've learned my lesson and now I'm very good at follow-up. So maybe it was a good way for me to learn that lesson because it stuck with me, right? Like the <laughs> negative things like stick to you and the positive things don't have as big of an impact sometimes. So, yeah. Yeah. And every single person has gone through something terrible like that. We're literally like so embarrassed, but a huge <laughs> learning experience because look at now what's happened in your system. It's improved yeah. the whole system. Right. And that's it. I mean, it, it goes back to that apathy. Think of the, the educators who have apathy or they're feeling that way because nobody asked them much like the student has apathy because nobody's paying attention not nobody. I mean, I I think people listening understand it's not that we're not paying attention. It's that we're not meeting their needs the way they need us to meet their needs. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that's that's their perception and that's real for them. And that's exactly what's happening with staff who are saying they're burned out, who are negative, who were just like, come on, just change your positive, get positive and blah, blah, blah. They're, they don't want to hear it anymore because they're like, well, I'm asking for this. Nobody's listening. I'm done. So And that's generalizing big time. And I know you understand, Francine, that there's more to it, but um, I appreciate that so much that you're calling that out and being vulnerable with me and leaders because leaders need to now know to ask those questions of staff, right? So let's, let's, uh, let's, I know it's already been a half an hour. So let me just uh, close this up with you. You know, we could do this forever. Uh, there's a couple things. Number one, I want you to tell people about your blog because there's more of these conversations in Francine's blog. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I started my blog probably 10 years ago, maybe. Oh, wow. Schoolcounselorspace.blogspot.com. And a lot of the things that we've talked about today, I share on my blog. When I started as a school counselor, I was by myself. So I didn't really have someone next door that I could go talk to. You know, there wasn't anyone else in my building. I didn't even have a social worker in my building. So once a week, the social worker would stop by and I was like, okay, my people, like she gets me and she gets what we do. And I can ask her questions that other people maybe couldn't answer for me. So it was really important to me back then when I first started to just blog about everything. Cause I felt like if I could talk about you know, what I was going through or what I was using or how I was solving problems and other people could chime in and like share their stuff too, or make comments and share links. And that has just progressed over 10 years into me sharing a lot of what I do and how I approach situations. Um, And then people obviously can comment and say, 
you know, hey, I'm going to use this too, or hey, this is what works for me so that, you know, we are helping each other and collaborating, which is why I started it, you know, just for a space for personal growth and collaboration with counselors, because I just had no one. So everything on my blog is free. I don't, you know, I don't sell my stuff. I, I don't have a teacher pay teacher. I, I don't have time for that. Like if I feel like it works and it's going to help other people, I share it. So a lot of my processes and the way I do things are shared on my blog going back like 10 years. Oh my gosh. There's tons of information there. Oh my gosh. All right. So check that out. Schoolcounselorspace.blogspot.com. Check that out. Of course, I'll put it in the description. Okay. So if I want you to envision school leaders and district leaders listening right now. What is the one thing that you think they need to do to kind of combat apathy and build the culture that you think needs to happen for these kids and staff? Oh, that's a big question. So big. It's so big. You can <laughs> so handle big. it. Right? <laughs> okay. I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best. So yeah. I think number one, um, over the next few months prior to the new school year, sitting down and talking to the school counselor about what's happening, because that person is going to have a real pulse on what the students are saying and what they're seeing from a social emotional perspective. That's your, your leader in terms of social emotional learning. So sit down and have a conversation with them about what's happening. Look at any data that you have. Some schools have methods to collect that data. Some schools, you know, are working towards improving that to really figure out what's happening in your school building. And then ask your teachers. One thing that, um, we're working on implementing in our school district is um, a non-cognitive needs survey. Very easy to find if you have a school counselor. If not, they can e people can email me. Maybe I'll just put it on my blog now that I said that. Um, just to get an idea from teachers on what they're seeing in terms of non-cognitive um, assessment for non-cognitive assessment purposes, because you know the things that they're seeing that tie to non-cognitive um, concerns are things that they sometimes don't have the tools to address, right. but we won't know about it if we don't ask about it. So maybe assessing your staff, because if you can solve some of those problems for them, their jobs will become easier and they can teach their passion. You know, They can just show up and teach and know that those concerns are being addressed in another way. And maybe they're part of that solution too, which I hope they are. Um, so gathering that data, talking to the people that can actually help you to move forward to address those apathy issues. But then in doing that also, ask your teachers what they need. You know, like we actually did this last week. So it's so interesting that you asked this question because part of our team that gets together talks about this issue. And of course, the number one thing is always going to be time, right? Teachers just need more time, but we don't always, an administrator doesn't always have the ability to give them the gift of time, but to know that they need that time and to be respectful of their time when they're doing things is deeply important. So, you know, if you have a staff meeting, have an agenda, please don't show up to a staff meeting without an agenda. Let us know, let your teachers know this is what we're going to talk about so that they understand the purpose. And that might deal with some of those, you know, um, seasoned teachers that are always, you know, the positive ones, like, okay, there's a purpose to this. They have a plan. So be respectful of their time if you can't give them more time um, and then ask them what they need so that you can fulfill that need. So I think really the underlying message and maybe all of that is being communicative with the people that can support addressing the apathy in students and being communicative with your staff 
because sometimes they just need to be heard. They just need to be seen. Um, one of the biggest things a teacher said to us during that meeting last week was, it costs an administrator nothing to stop by a classroom and just say, good morning, what's going well for you and what's not going well for you and how can I help? Just a conversation, mm. just like a normal human conversation with them. So then they feel like, oh, you know, no, no one ever comes by and asks me that. And especially no one that can actually address the issue. They just don't. Yeah. And that costs nothing. But if you, you know, put it on your calendar, like today, I'm going to check in with these five teachers. And this is the question. Think of the culture shift that can happen in your school. Right. If you do that and I then follow that. through on it. No, don't just do it. Follow through on it. Absolutely. That's where you're going to build the trust. That's exactly right. I love that. Oh my gosh. So if we have leaders listening, then they're going to be able to take so much away from this Francine. Truly, that's what they want to do. They want to have those strategies. So thank you for that. Okay. If somebody wants to get in touch with you directly, can they? And if so, where or how? Absolutely. So on my blog, there's a contact form on the left side at the bottom, um, and they can just fill that out and it'll come right to my email and, you know, I'll be able to, to email them back or, you know, or whatever. Yeah. That's nice of you to, to reach out with them or to them. If they reach out to you, I guess, and then you get back to them. That's really kind of you because yes. you're busy. You're busy too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to say your blog spot address one more time because they're just listening to this and they're like, I want to go there. What is it? It is schoolcounselorspace.blogspot.com, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right, Francine. Well, we better stay in touch because you are a wealth of knowledge and I appreciate your time so much. Thank you. Thank you. This has been so fun. I know it's been great. I well, we'll have to just do it again. I appreciate it so yes. much. <laughs>